Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. Back at it. It's back at it for game week, Kyle. We got uh, Baylor coming to Stillwater, and it's homecoming. My favorite time of the year. How about you? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that homecoming in Stillwater is. Um, it's a little, little overrated. Am I allowed to say that? You think everything's overrated these days, my boy? Tyron, receiver depth, <laughs> homecoming. What, what do you like? Uh, I think, I think Oklahoma State's still going to win the Big Twelve. So I think Oklahoma whoa. State's whoa, whoa. Yeah, they're in a good position now, huh? After the debacle in Norman. Yeah. Let me let me clarify my my homecoming take before we before we move on. I don't want I don't want people to to be angry with me. I, I think homecoming's great. Like obviously we were up there last year, had David Glidden on the podcast. It, it's it's so fun. Like it's such a festive thing. Um, I just think that it gets like blown into this like like I I, I guess what I'm saying is I I think that every football weekend is is great. Like I, I think Oklahoma State football weekends on the whole are underrated. I just think homecoming, everybody's like, oh, it's so great. It's so much better. And it's like, it's just pretty, pretty similar. Like it's kind of the same. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I don't feel like it's that much different than, than the rest of it. Well, the big difference is the walkarounds on, on Friday night and the, the house decks. I mean, I know you were uh, – you were a GDI, so you didn't work on any house decks in your day. You don't know what it's like to do that and pomp and all that stuff and how rewarding that can be. Uh, but uh, no, I, I think it's, you know, they do go over the top with the, uh, it's America's greatest homecoming. Yeah. It's the yeah. best thing ever. I agree with you there. But I think it's it's far better and superior to many around this area. So it's oh, it's yeah, different. Totally. It's different in a lot of respects. But you know, I, I, if they, if they want to call it America's greatest. I'm, I'm not going to call it overrated. Yeah, that, that's fine. I, I just I think that game days on Stillwater's campus in general are pretty underrated. I think I think the tailgating is awesome. So I just I, I don't get that much more excited about a about a homecoming type uh, atmosphere. I, I think it is. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that it's it's pretty similar, but it's going to be fun. I, you know. I, I think that Oklahoma State has a has a real chance to kind of regain the momentum it lost after after the TCU game. Um, you hit the bye week at four and one, and then I mean it's a gauntlet over the next four weeks, isn't it? Five weeks, whatever it is. I mean the rest of the season, really, that you don't have another bye week. Um, did did OU losing to Norman change your your perspective on what Oklahoma State can do the rest of the year? Absolutely. And I think those players and coaches in Stillwater, after that happened, they have to feel like they have like a new lease on life in the Big 12. I mean, it, just think about Bedlam now. If they just win Bedlam and obviously run the table, that's no gimme considering they got to go West Virginia and Austin. But whereas before, had before OU having not lost, you know, even winning that game, you, you need some help. But now, just BOU and win your games, you're in against TCU. Assuming they do, what they you know, assuming they run the table. But as far as OSU oh, just taking care of business now, they have to feel like they have a whole new lease on life. See, I don't, I don't know. It, it gives you a cushion because now you can lose, you can lose a game as long as it's not OU and still finish with two losses and feel uh, pretty good about your chances of getting in the Big Twelve title game. Uh, as long as you beat OU, you know, that, that's the, that's the key. So I guess, 
I, I don't know. I, I think it gives them a little leeway in terms of, um, you know, you lose another game. Obviously, you can't get into the college football playoff, but you can still win the big, you know, you can still win the Big Twelve title by going seven and two and then winning uh, whoever or playing or, or beating whoever you play in, in the Big Twelve championship game. So, I, I it didn't do a ton for me, I guess, in terms of um, like the the records and like how you're going to get to a Big Twelve title game. I thought it was more about like. Hey, nobody in this league is is really that good, and it's kind of there for the taking. That that was more my takeaway from Iowa State beating OU uh, in, in, from a, from an Oklahoma State perspective than anything. Yeah, I mean that's that's the big takeaway for me too. Not just that they have a new lease on Big Twelve life. It's OU is susceptible. I mean they are not as good as they look Iowa State, especially on defense or secondary. I mean, if you're in your chops to see go deep balls to James Washington against that crew, the OU has real issues on defense that we see uh, in the Ohio State game. But honestly, they defense the three games after that. You, you know, Tulane ran in the field in the first half. Um, obviously, gave them a scare in Waco. And then, of course, you saw Iowa State torch them with a backup walk-on quarterback who had thrown three balls in his career. So it's... It's wide open and much more so than we thought. Yeah, totally. Um, you want to go to our guest? Yep. Okay. Let's go to the Coop Works guest of the week. Coop Works bring great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA, the Bold DNR Belgian Strong Ale, or the refreshing Horny Toad Blonde. For your next watch party, tailgate, or get together with friends, enjoy cold Coop Works, and please remember to drink responsibly with david oven uh back on the podcast uh how's it going david pretty good yeah i mentioned I'm, I'm basically an iowa state beat writer this week i'm writing about uh iowa state basketball for the field house at the athletic and uh writing about kyle kemp and his uh big day in norman for uh sports on earth so i spent the week talking to iowa state people so i'm i'm, I'm very knowledgeable about the cyclones right now <laughs> well let's <laughs> let's start there carson and i were just uh we're just breaking down the big 12 race and um, just kind of what's what's become of it. How much did Iowa State beating OU change the way you view the rest of the season in the Big 12? I think the biggest thing is that it, I, I'm just not sure there's anyone that, that's that's great. I'm not sure the Big 12 has an elite team. You know, I think we certainly thought a few weeks ago that, that Oklahoma State was one and Oklahoma was one and TCU was kind of to be determined. Um, but I, I don't think uh, you look around the Big 12, I think obviously, you know, TCU is is – mortal but a really good team oklahoma obviously has consistency issues and their defense i mean you look at them giving up 41 to baylor now 38 to iowa state the two you know probably best offenses that they've played ironically enough um have really torched them and they're going to see much tougher offenses as they get into the think of big 12 play and i think obviously oklahoma state defensively has got some issues so I, i think the biggest thing i took away from it is you know, does the Big 12 really have an elite team this year? You know, for uh, a league that was talking about maybe having two a couple weeks ago, I'm not sure there's any. David, what has happened to uh, Jordan Thomas, you know, the cornerback for Oklahoma? He was a big culprit for uh, against Iowa State. You know, this is a guy that two years ago in Bedlam in 2015 looked like a first-round caliber cornerback. What's happened to him, and what do you think Mike Stoops' future at Oklahoma is? Well, you know, as for Jordan Thomas, I think he's always had a propensity to get burned. I think he has trouble finding the ball. I, at coverage, I mean, he's not out of position a ton of the time. I mean, you even look at, 
at the, the touchdown he gave up to Alan Lazar to, 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 you know, I guess unfairly or not to lose the game on, on Saturday, he was in okay position, but he just, he, he doesn't seem to have a great ability to find the ball. And, you know, teams attack him a lot. He's got a lot of PBUs, but, um, you know, I, I, can you fix that over time with reps? I mean, he's had a lot of college reps. I'm not sure. I, I think his ability to cover and his, his ability to be in position, you know, he's probably still going to have a, a pretty bright NFL future, but I think he's just a, he's a frustrating kind of player because you see that he'll be in position and, and give up a big play. And, you know, as for Mike Stoops, I think it's obvious that, that it was an awkward coach's room from the start. You know, Oklahoma had been grooming Lincoln Riley to kind of be, a, a, you know, Bob Soup's replacement maybe five or six years from now. Uh, obviously, that happened sooner than they thought. But, you know, when he's running the program and obviously Mike's still there, it was plenty of awkwardness. I think everyone, especially when you bring in Ruffin McNeil, an experienced uh, defensive coach who has a history of being a coordinator in the Big 12, uh, that made it even more awkward, even though Lincoln felt like he needed him. Um you know, I, I think obviously it was pretty clear that, that Mike Soups was probably only going to be at Oklahoma for one year. And I think uh, after Saturday and after the way the defense has looked, I'm not sure that he'll be missed too badly. I think he'll he'll be certainly you know putting some feelers out at the end of the year. But you know, uh, whatever Oklahoma does in the future for their defensive coaching situation, I'm sure Ruffin McNeil will be uh, heavily involved in that. But yeah, it's. Uh, not a lot of great answers. I mean, a midseason coaching change is not the answer for Oklahoma. I think just you got to kind of ride it out and, and try to fix it. I think the biggest thing is they just haven't been very aggressive, haven't been able to try to make some plays. And, and you know, you're, if you're going to give up big plays, you might as well try to uh, play aggressive and try to force some in the backfield anyway. And they haven't really done that much this year. Talking about Oklahoma State's defense, and, and you kind of mentioned earlier that it's left a little bit to be desired. Where do you think they rank in terms of Big 12 defenses, and, and what do you look at specifically when you're trying to figure out, uh, you know, who's got a who's got a great defense? Is is there a stat you look at? How, how do you kind of piece that together? I mean, I think you know, I, I think I kind of have to take the attitude that a lot of Big 12 coaches do, and you know, you look at third down conversions, you look at red zone conversion rate; those are important to winning games. And then, you obviously, I think just you know, yards per play defensively is huge. I mean, in the Big 12, you have to think total yards is, is silly, especially when you have tempo playing such a big role. And you know, Oklahoma State has 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 looked good in in the sort of the big stats, but they also haven't really hit the meat of their schedule. They haven't really hit, you know, the the really. Um, um, the the big the big offenses. I mean, they've played Texas Tech, but you know Oklahoma is going to be a test for them. Uh, ironically, this weekend, you know, I think Baylor's putting up a lot of points. Uh, they're they're sort of clicking a little bit with with Zach Smith and Denzel Mims, and they're going to get healthier. They went from having zero running backs a couple weeks ago to now it looks like four pretty good healthy backs. So they'll get a test this week. I, I just think it's a little too soon to tell for Oklahoma State, but you know, I I think this is just not a team that. Uh, is quite as as potent as I think we we thought coming into the year. They can put up points in a hurry, but uh, you know, subject to some mistakes, Mason Rudolph a little bit uh, shaky this year in, in decision making and and ball placement, and then you know, defensively, like we saw in the TCU game, when you when you put up turnovers, you know, the defense isn't quite uh, to the point where they're going to pick up the slack and, and help you out quite as much as maybe you need to when you have a rough day offensively. Yeah, Kyle and I thought after that Pittsburgh game, after they just annihilated them, that we had to kind of recalibrate our, our expectations, thought this offense is so good, we don't know who's going to stop them, and they might be a playoff contender, and then we saw the TCU game. Did, did Were you kind of feeling the same way as we were after that pit game, and just how, 
how do you view the OSU as a whole now after they had lost TCU and, and really kind of struggled down in Lubbock as well? I was. I mean, when you when you basically are playing name your number against Pitt, I mean, they honestly could have scored 100 if they wanted to in that game. But you look at their non-conference schedule, I mean, Oklahoma State can't help this, but Tulsa's been really bad. They got destroyed by Tulane this weekend. That was like it was like 56 to 7 at halftime or something like that. You know, South Alabama, it's, you know, they're obviously I don't think anybody thought they were world beaters, but you know, they're 1 and 4. And then obviously you look at at Pitt, I mean, they're 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 looking a little bit hopeless too without Matt Canada. Uh, I mean, they just have not been a good team. That's a you know a team that's I think two and five right now, and I think the only team they've beaten is uh, they you have an FCS win, and I think they beat Rice, who might be one of the worst teams in all of FBS this year. So, you know, I I just think it, it was maybe a little bit of fool's gold. That it's hard to tell. I always look at the college football pictures kind of like a mosaic in that. You know, your nose is kind of pressed up against the glass right now, and, and you don't really know, you know, how good is Pitt when you're playing them. Well, you know, last year obviously they had it going, and, and you kind of think about that, and maybe you under understate the loss of guys like Nate Peterman and James Conner and then losing Matt Canada to LSU. You, so you don't think about those things at the time, and, you know, a week earlier they're sort of competitive, you know, against Penn State, and then Oklahoma State comes in there and rips them. But I think, you know, when you have the full season to look and you back off and you look at it, very, you know, when you look at the full season, there's usually a handful of games that still don't make sense. But most of the time, as the picture becomes more full, the games make sense. And I think when you look at Oklahoma State blowing these teams out early, well, you know, I think it's easy to look at those games and say, well, we probably overrated Oklahoma State a little bit coming into that. And uh, they're going to be tested defensively. So we'll see. Incredibly. Uh... Neither neither Matt Canada's current team or his his old team has a good offense. So um. <laughs> well, they're finally letting him actually actually run the offense. That's kind of what the biggest reason why LSU. Everybody was making a big deal out of the LSU line shifting last year or last week against Florida, and everybody was like, "Whoa!" You know, as you lost to Troy, but they basically took the keys out of his hands uh, early in the season when they're getting blown out by Mississippi State and losing to Troy. And it, the, the, the offense was completely different against Florida. They're running, like, more jet sweeps, tons of motion. They're doing, actually, things that help Matt Canada get that LSU job and Ed Ordron <laughs> stop meddling, and they beat Florida, who, how good is Florida? Uh, let's say limited, but they're, <laughs> but they're, you know, but they won that game, and uh, I think you're going to see that for the rest of the year. I mean, we'll see. I, they're, they're still, you know, when you're running a Purdue transfer quarterback out there, you can only be so good offensively, but... <laughs> You know, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, David, why why do people not like Mike Yersich? Uh Because everyone hates their offensive coordinator. No one, every every program in the country, except for you know, no every every program hates their offensive coordinator. Every single program. I think that's ultimately what it is. I mean, I think people when they have a bad game offensively, oh, the play calling was bad. Oh, I mean. It's, I think a perfect example is that's the stupid receiver pass against TCU. Was that completely unnecessary? Yeah, probably. But if it, if it works, I mean, that's one of those things where, oh, you know, well, look at the cojones on this guy. This is why we love, you know, Mike Yersich. And, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I, think, I think if you're going to take those jobs and be in that spot, you just have to be, be prepared for the fan base to be fickle. And I think that's, you know, Mike Yersich is, is living that OC life. I think it's it's less dramatic for, uh, um, for 
head coaches. I think it's it's not quite as as uh, you know dramatic when you have wins and losses. But for coordinators, I mean, Mike Stoops, they were ready to run him out of town when Tavon Austin, you know, runs for three hundred and fifty yards or whatever in Morgantown. And then they're ready to anoint him when you know they're running to the playoff and shutting teams down, and now they're ready to run him back back out of town again. Uh, it's a little bit different situation this time now that his brother's not the head coach. But I, I just think any coordinator, especially OC, I think um, I was talking to uh, Les Miles a couple weeks ago for a story, and he was like, you know, coaching is interesting because you know nobody thinks that they can be a dentist, nobody thinks that they can be an accountant, but everybody <laughs> thinks they can be a coach. So when you see your offense not producing, oh, I could call plays better than that guy. Uh, probably not, but that's all right. Mike Gundy even talked about that this week. He was like, yeah, eventually I'll lose some games and people will doubt me as a coach again. Just kind of how, <laughs> kind of how it works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David, oh, she's got Baylor this week. And I look at the, you know, they lose to Liberty, UTSA, and Duke. And then I watch them against OU and it looks like they have some athletes still in Waco. Just Has Matt Rule just had trouble finding his footing? Is he not doing a good job? How in the world did Baylor lose those games in the non-conference and then be competitive against OU and Kansas State? I think the biggest thing is, I think he was scared of his offensive line. Um, you know, a new Solomon comes in there, uh, the Arizona transfer, guy that had a lot more experience than Zach Smith. And I think he felt like, you know, if they're going to be fairly equal against the defense that I'm not sure was really testing their offense that great in practice... But if he knows that offensive line is a liability, he wanted some mobility. And Solomon gave him that. Uh, I think defensively, they obviously struggled early on. Um, they haven't been great offense or great defensively, but I, I think I think he realized maybe they're not as big of an, a, a liability as he thought. And, and you're taking a guy that is a still-maturing sophomore who's played very little but does have an NFL arm. If you guys haven't watched Zach Smith closely, that's an NFL arm. Whether or not he becomes an NFL quarterback, we'll see. But that's you know that's an arm that belongs on you know uh, whoever you want to say you know in the NFL. That's a guy that that, that can sling it. And he's really kind of changed their offense. Uh, you know Solomon really struggled against UTSA. They made the switch. UTSA is a better defensive team than people realize, but uh, they made the switch and and they've. Not been rolling since, but their offense looks completely different uh, because he can make a lot more different throws. And the offensive line, even though it hasn't been great, I mean, they haven't been – it's not like Smith's running for his life every time. And so I think it's a combination of they do still have some athletes. You know, Denzel Mims has busted out for them. Uh, he's basically, you know, as good of as good as just about any receiver in the league, except for maybe James Washington and, and Alan Lazard. But he's just as good as a lot of those guys. and. He's making a ton of plays uh, in the air after the catch. Uh, you're right. I mean, they, they do still have a lot of holdovers from the Browse era of just really good athletes. I mean, you look at Taylor Young. Uh, K.J. Smith's been banged up. He's had a really quiet year, but he's still kind of hovering out there. And then, you know, I, I, we mentioned earlier the running backs. I mean, they've got as uh, deep a stable of running backs as, as anybody in the league. You look at Terrence Williams, who kind of quit the team last week, and now he's back, but... You know, you've got him. John Lovitz looked good, the young kid. Uh, Jermichael Hasty looks like he'll be back this week. He's really fast. Uh, I mean, they're uh, Baylor. I, I said this last week. For whatever it's worth, they might be the greatest zero and five team in college football history. So <laughs> they're, they're not a disaster. I they just got off to a really bad start, and I think that line this week for them is 
really disrespectful. They haven't gotten pasted by anyone all year long. And Oklahoma State's going to put up some points on them, but I have no doubt Baylor's going to put some points of their own and, and move the ball quite a bit. So 25 points. I mean, I know Oklahoma State kind of feels a little bit like uh, some of those peak Baylor teams and that they can get on top of you fast and really pile it on. I mean, Pitt experienced that, but Baylor's a pretty good team. I mean, I don't think Baylor's just going to get run off the field here. It's not like they're bringing RG3 up there. That's these are This is a different Baylor team. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, two, two-parter here, David. Who, who is your – first of all, who is the best player in the Big 12? Regardless, like we, we always talk about Baker Mayfield and, and Mason Rudolph, but who's like the best player at his position in the Big 12? And then who is your favorite player to watch so far in the Big 12 this year? It's a good question. Uh, so before the season, I mean, I felt like it was Connor Williams. I've, I've said that, and, and he, it's, it's unfortunate that he's been hurt a lot of the year. He, I think he had 270 pounds of USC land on his uh, left knee, and he hadn't really been able to come back. He might be back in a couple weeks, but I mean, he's just a a, a beast uh, offensively. Uh, Orlando Brown's probably deserves to be up there too. I would, I would probably go James Washington. I think he masks some of Mason Rudolph's weaknesses a little bit. Uh, he can go up and make some plays, and and uh, I, I think his ability to track the ball in the air. And then make a play over defensive back is probably as good as anyone I can remember in the league. He's better at that than Blackman. Obviously, Blackman did a ton of things that were super special. I mean, I think he was an underrated route runner. He just bully people. He had that kind of Dez factor where, you know, when he had the ball, he was going to try and go score every time, and he was really hard to bring down. But Washington's ability to just go up over people, uh, I think, is so rare. So I would probably say him. Uh, as far as the best active player in the Big 12, as far as who's played the best so far this year. Uh, most fun player to watch. I got to go Baker on that one, man. Baker, <laughs> <I'll>, <laughs> the guy the guy is who he is. And uh, I like guys who, uh, you know, make things a little bit entertaining. And it's every time, whether that's with his mouth or with his legs or with his arm, Baker's pretty consistently entertaining, so I gotta go with uh, I gotta go with Mr. Shake and Bake over uh, over Norman. Big debate on the podcast for us, David. Uh, Tyron Johnson, overrated or underrated? Well, let's see this. I think relative to his production, he's grossly overrated. But I think in terms of his actual skill level, probably underrated. I mean, if you put him in another offense that doesn't have eighty-five targets to throw to, and Mason Rudolph's not picking between. Uh, the wide open receiver on his left, the wide open receiver on his right, the right or the wide open receiver down the middle, you know, I think he would certainly have some. Uh, yeah, I think he'd be more productive in another system. But so if that makes sense, I'll say overrated relative to his importance to the roster and his production, but underrated in terms of his skill level relative to his. Uh, fame throughout the league is that fair <laughs> that's very fair and they got to get him the ball kyle <laughs> hey i i wish they would but apparently he's not open something's wrong i don't know gundy said they were going to get it to him more yesterday though so we'll see i would like to point out, i'd like to point out i'm looking at the numbers right now uh chris warren the running back from texas has 10 more yards receiving on the season than tyron not Johnson. not good not good <laughs> that's a- that's a failure on the part of the coaching staff. That is a complete failure. <laughs> uh, okay, before we get you out of here, David, uh, tell tell us about all the different places you're writing at, and and just how uh, that the the everything's going. It, it seems like um, we're kind of in a 
an era of, of writing on the internet that's become better uh, for individuals uh, such as yourself, myself, but just how's everything going and, and how have you enjoyed the season so far? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty busy. I think, um, you know, I've been at Sports on Earth. This is my third season with them. Um, it's really great. We have a uh, – we're an interesting site. I feel like we're kind of the New Yorker of sports in some ways. The emails that I get from Sports on Earth readers are like – it's like the it's like the standard, like, Northeast wasp, like, with too much time on their hands. Like, I wrote about how to fix college <laughs> – I wrote about – I wrote about – how to fix college basketball. And I got like this, like, okay, you know, the emails that are like written by a smart person. Who's also a little bit crazy. <laughs> like I get a lot of those. I've gotten a so few like, of those. So like I get an email, it was like five or 600 words about like, they were like angry, but they agreed with me. And they talked about Missy Franklin for a long time. Cause I, t- I wrote about the Olympic model. Oh my I, was, gosh. Like, I know he was like, I wrote about the Olympic Olympic model as it relates to college football and college basketball, and they were like, you know, Missy Franklin was 16 when she was going, you know, when she was breaking all these records and being an Olympic hero, and then she hurt her back and she couldn't do anything, and then she, you know, embarrassed herself at these Olympics, but at least she was able to get some money out of the deal, and I think you're totally right. They were, like, really angry, but they, like, agreed with me. (laughs) Surreal emails. Like, it's just a different readership. Uh, so I've been there for three years. It's a great experience. And then I've just started writing for uh, so the Athletics Network. Uh, the Fieldhouse is their college basketball website run by Seth Davis. Uh, uh, he's worked for Sports Illustrated, for CBS for quite a while. And then I'm also contributing to the Athletics College football side, uh, the All-American, which is run by Stuart Mandel bunch of good staffers who if people you know have paid attention to college football i'm sure they'll they'll recognize a lot of people who are there and then i have my own site uh patreon uh through the patreon network uh basically an expansion of the flyover country podcast um that i had a couple of years ago and i write there you know every day about big 12 football and basketball and uh that's been a lot of fun uh and then i'm chipping in on this uh this fan plan company which is pretty interesting um, so it's basically, if you go to afanplan.com, you can look at it. Um, but basically if you, uh, you can buy what they're, they're called fan plans, but basically it's, uh, you buy a team fan plan and if they go to the national championship, you get a thousand dollars to attend the game also. Uh, so it's pretty cool. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now. And it's a lot of writing and it's pretty busy, but it's, it's fun. I mean, college football is the best time of the year, so Last one, uh, who are you picking to get to Jerry World out of the Big 12? How do you see it playing out? Uh, well, I said Oklahoma State and Kansas State before the season. I'm all the way out on Kansas State. I've sold all of my <laughs> stock. I sold it before last week. I, I thought they had a chance to really get thumped at Texas. But now, you know, with a couple losses, they're, they're, they're persona non grata for me. Um, oh, I think it's going to be hard for people to not – well, actually – I think Oklahoma State still gets there because of the schedule. And then it's got to be Oklahoma or TCU, but they both have really tough schedules going the rest of the way. Uh, I'm going to go – we didn't see – I was waiting for the Baker Mayfield Tebow promise speech. Uh, I was waiting for that this week. We didn't get it. We didn't get it. I was was bracing myself for the, you know, you're never going to see a team work harder. 
You know, you're never going to see a team plant more flags across this country. <laughs> we never got it. Uh, he so, did. He did reference his speech from last year real quickly. Then moved on to we're going to bounce back. Yeah, he's like, I, he's like, I made a speech last year, and same thing applies. Basically, is what he said. <laughs> he yeah, reminded everyone of it. <laughs> I still don't know how they lost to Iowa State. I don't care how bad your defense is. Their defense wasn't that bad. I mean, it was bad, but I don't know how they lost that game. Like, I, I still don't. Um, but I guess I can't. I don't know that I can bet against Baker. So even uh even with a tough schedule i think uh i think tcu trips up a couple times the rest of the way me too i'm gonna go i'm gonna go ou and i'm gonna go a bedlam rematch the game that everyone thought was gonna happen i thought i thought the schedule would get ou but i think uh i think both of those teams come in there with two losses yeah i'm i could not agree more yeah (laughs) all in unison i'm fascinated by tcu i think uh they're they're so weird. Uh, like Gary, I was at the game on Saturday. Gary was positively giddy. I have never seen him that happy after a win. And I think they're in this weird zone. I was talking to Chris Lowe uh, from ESPN, a guy you know I worked with him for a while. They're in this weird zone where they're not that good, but they're also really good. But they understand they're not that good, and so they <laughs> can't really relax. But then they're also good enough to beat like everyone. So like. They're talented enough to go eleven and one and win the twelve and one and win the Big Twelve, but they're also like not good enough to be guaranteed to not like totally fall apart and go like eight and four or nine and three. Because like Kenny Hill is not that much better than he was last year. They're fascinating to me. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. I, I'm not a believer in TCU, uh, even though they've. I mean, they've proven it. They've done it. So it's. The, the more I continue to say that, the, the less uh, <laughs> the less true it gets. But I just – I don't know. Like, I think they could lose this weekend at Kansas State. I think going to Norman's going to be almost impossible for them with Kenny Hill. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think that it doesn't feel like you're going to get a Bedlam rematch right now because OU just lost. Oklahoma State hasn't looked great. But things can change so quickly in, in college football as we've seen. And, and I think that eventually that those two talent – uh, pools will will win out but i don't yeah. know i think too you know they're i'm not i'm not sure how kansas state's gonna score on tcu i'll tell you that this weekend but also uh, listen i want you guys to hold your laughter but do not sleep on texas do not yeah, sleep I, on I, texas. Knew, I knew that was they're coming. Two <laughs> they're two and oh they got i think they figured out they're better off with ellinger they're gonna listen it's going to be, like I said, I think two losses can get you to, I think seven and two can get you to, to, to Norman or to uh, Arlington at this point. And if they, they might have a chance to play their way into it the last couple weeks of the year. I'll be fascinated to see it. I'm just saying, don't rule them out. There's, there's two teams at the top of the Big 12 standings right now, and it's, we haven't talked about one of them. So I feel like we got to get the Texas, we got to get the Texas in there. Yeah, I'm, not but, believer, I mean- I'm not a believer. But I'm just saying they probably have the best defense in the Big Twelve, and I'm not sure that it's going to be close. And also, there, you know, that that says a lot about your team, gives you a wide margin of error. And also, you know, they're they're going to improve quite a bit as the season goes along. We'll we'll see. I'm not a believer, but I would not be surprised if they're if they're there in, in December. I mean, they, I like, I, now I, now that they got rid of Bichelle, they got a much better chance. So yeah, I, 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 I agree. They're a threat. Colt McCoy too. I think that they, I think they have to win either this week or next. I think if they lose both of those, then it's, 
it's going to be tough. But if they win one of those, then all of a sudden, you know, who knows? But uh, yeah, I crunched it. I was I was looking at the the numbers for um, Red River because I was making my doing my picks column yesterday um, or Thursday at, at Flower Country, and I was looking at the Red River history. So the last eleven games, the underdog is seven three and one against the spread, and they've won outright four times. Oh, and Texas wow. is only a seven and a half point underdog. And Texas, like I said, they have I, I do think they have the best defense in the Big Twelve right now. And they're gonna that game's gonna get muddy and ugly. I, it's gonna be fun. I don't know what's gonna happen. I hate picking Red River. It's impossible every single year. But I think this is you know, I think you're gonna get a pretty angry Oklahoma, and I think that works for them. Um, but we'll see. Like I said, Texas is capable. We'll see. Yeah. Okay, David, uh, appreciate you coming on, man. Good luck with uh, all your stuff this year, and we will keep following and reading and listening and uh, everything else. So appreciate you appreciate, uh, appreciate you being here. No problem, guys, anytime. Okay, See you, talk to you later. Okay, Texas, Big 12 you title. Forgot, you forgot to ask what Koopy drinks. Oh. I did forget. I bet he's text, a text him. Uh, text, text him and ask him. We'll we'll keep going. Okay. I bet he's a. Uh, I bet he's a horny toad guy. Yeah, he's down there in Texas. It's close yeah. to TCU. He lives in the Dallas area. That's perfect. He's always. He's not as high on TCU as I thought he was going to be because I'm. I'm with him. I and and I think you agree. I do not buy TCU. I think they're going to lose two or three more games. In my opinion, I mean, Kenny Hill. They just. They don't ask him to do anything. They're just <laughs> trying to survive with him, and I think he's going to lose a couple games. Yeah, I, I've been kind of just ripped on for for saying that I that I didn't believe in TCU. I don't think Kenny Hill's that good. I just I don't know. They're not. I mean, I, I don't know what to I don't know what to say. Like they're gonna. Did well, they're you winning. Say- they're winning. The, they're winning the turnover battle. That's how they're winning every week. That's how they beat OSU. That's how they beat West Virginia. West Virginia outgained them. And their defense is not great, West Virginia's. I, so. I, I think they're going to have a difficult time going on the road. I say this. They already went to Stillwater and won. But I think it's going to be difficult for them to go on the road, play some play some night games on the road, just in weird environments. They don't seem, they don't seem built for that. I mean, it, college football is weird enough as it is. I just – I don't – I don't trust them, you know, like you're watching a game and I'm like, eh, I think they're good. Like they, they kind of look good, but then you're like, this could go badly in a hurry, you know? And, and I mean, is Kenny Hill going to go 12 and 0, 11 and one? Maybe. October 10th, 2017. I'm predicting TCU loses three, three more games. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you. Maybe At two, least. but two or three. At least two, and I, I'm probably – that means they go – what are they in the Big 12? 2-0, and o, so they go 5 – or 4-3 uh, and three the rest of the way? Uh, I don't know. 5-2? Three is a lot. They'll lose two more. Well, the, uh, they will – let me pull up the schedule here. If, if, okay, so if they only Can't. lose two – if they only lose two, that's a that's a becomes a problem for Oklahoma State, doesn't it? Oh, uh, they're they're losing three. Look at look at their schedule. They're going to lose this week at K State. <laughs> um, they might lose at home to Texas. They're definitely losing in Norman. Maybe lose at at Tech, and then Baylor at home. One of my favorite. So. Yeah, they they might lose at Tech. Uh, one of my favorite things that 
we do as fans of, of this sport is we love to extrapolate things like whatever just happened gets extrapolated for the rest of the year. Some, somebody the other, uh, the other day said, did you see the way OU played? There's no way they're winning nine games or 10 games or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Even though like, they've done that every year. And it's like, <laughs> guys, like it's, it's one game. You can't like whatever the most recent thing is, doesn't automatically get extrapolated for the next two months, you know, like, and I mean, that's the nature of fandom, but it's just like, we gotta, we have to have perspective here. Yeah. I mean, think about when, oh, you got their teeth kicked in by a horrible Texas team, Charlie strong. They've won, they won like 18 big 12 games in a row after that. You know, people thought they were going to lose four or five games that year. So it's just pump the brakes. It's long season. Okay, uh, we need to talk uniforms. Let's get to this week's uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Carson, we need to talk. Let's do it. Are you okay? Uh, Nike is making me sad. Nike is? What What are you doing, Nike? Are you Have talking you about the Florida seen- uniforms? Have you seen the Florida uniforms? Are we sure that's not Adidas? I mean, did Adidas not like hack their <laughs> Twitter account? Like, cause that looks a lot like those Adidas grays that Tennessee used to wear. Well, it it's not just Florida either. I was watching Oregon, Washington State with with Mrs. Pistols over the weekend, and she said, "What is Oregon wearing?" It, it's what was wrong with what Oregon was wearing. It looked like it had been uh, like spray painted, like randomly like they've got green on the shoulder pads and nike's trying too hard i hate to say it but they're just they're doing too much right now uh, i need to see these uniforms you're talking about who'd they play oregon played washington state oh the leecher got him yeah. how good's mike leach by the way he's so good um uh, i can't find him but anyway, um, yeah, Florida's, without a doubt, are the worst ever. The worst of all time. Bring me something worse than Florida's and I'll listen. But I, I have yet to see anything as bad as that. Hold on, I'll, I'll send you these organs. Uh, what's your, what's your, do you have any other like top five worst of all time that you've seen? Uh, that's, a, that's a fun uh, non, no, no Oklahoma State uniforms to review topic. Um, worst, uh, the Virginia tech brick uniforms among the worst ever. (laughs) Anytime Tennessee wears gray is just hideous. Like gray just doesn't work as like a head to toe combination. It's, it's a good accent with like either a helmet or pants, maybe a Jersey, but I think Jersey's even pushing it. Uh, anytime you wear the gray, it's pretty ugly. Uh, Oregon, when they dressed up like the mascot, like the duck, I didn't that hate was, that. It wasn't great. How about the? It, uh, it was a great the, idea, just wasn't great in practice. I how about the Maryland uh, state flag on the shoulder pads? Oh, Maryland's Maryland's are probably the worst, actually. <laughs> the whole their entire ensemble. Every week they're the worst. Uh, yeah. There's been some. There's been some just really bad stuff i just i just googled terrible college football uniforms maryland did this shoulder pad flag thing that was it, it might be worse than the florida thing i don't know <laughs> the, the florida thing's pretty bad 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maryland's those are pretty bad too. But uh, I don't know. What are you thinking about uh, OSU this week, helmet wise? Um. Somebody mentioned this. I think it's a great idea, and I think they might do it. Nineteen forty-five throwback helmets. But aren't those just like plain black? No, I was gonna say I don't know how you would do it because I don't know if they're actual helmets or if they were just like leather pat, like leather, like a piece of leather. Uh, I'd have to go back and look. Um, but if they're able to somehow incorporate that, I think it'd be pretty cool. What they should do is like when Notre Dame were those Newt Rockney ones where they made them look like old leather. Yeah, it was cool. Like that would be that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah, trying to Google 1945 Oklahoma State, but uh, <laughs> half of them aren't wearing helmets in these pictures. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, no, it's just a, it's just a solid black kind of leather helmet. Well, maybe that's what they should do. Just go, just no logo. Just go solid black. Bring yeah. back the the matte finish. Just nothing else on it. That'd be kind of cool. You could write like 1945 on like the the front part, you know, where it yeah. says like state or cowboys or whatever. I'm in. I'm in. Or Aggies. I guess they could put Aggies on there. Put Aggies. Put 1945 on the neck part where where it usually has the bandana thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, they've already made 1945 national champions the most prominent thing in the stadium. <laughs> Might as well wear the uniforms. Uh, what do you think helmets. about? Um, have we talked about? Uh, Mike Boynton yet? I think he. I think we talked. We, have, before we haven't he, talked since he's since he's spoken about it. No. Yeah. Let's let's uh, let's hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit. Then we'll come back, talk Mike Boynton, and then wrap up. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986, and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, uh, Mike Boynton spoke on, I believe it was late Thursday afternoon. Um, what'd you think about what he said? Uh, you know, it, it was, it was short. It was like nine minutes, 10 minutes, something like that. Um, just your kind of initial reaction from hearing him talk about Lamont Evans and, and the Oklahoma state basketball program. Well, I thought he was handled it probably as well as you could just in his demeanor and his calmness and all that. I thought his demeanor was good. I thought some of the answers were a little interesting, a little odd. Um, and he said like a triple negative talking about his support from Holder, wasn't it? Like I've never <laughs> not, I've never not had Holder's support or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and, it was something uh, like that. And he he did though seem, you know, he was speaking as if he was in the clear, right? I mean, he was. Some of the stuff he said, if it comes out that he knew about some stuff, will look horrendous. I mean, he said, I'm sleeping very well at night. Like, uh, he, he acted like everything was all good. So that, I thought that was interesting. He didn't sound to me like a guy who was afraid to say anything because he knew something. So I, I thought he handled it good enough. I mean, not not great. 
but um, I, I thought his demeanor more than anything was was good. Yeah, I agree. A lot of people were riled up about him saying that he stood by what he said about Lamont Evans at the original press conference where he called him a brother and, um, you know, just just said glowing things about him. Basically, I, I don't, I I don't think that. I don't know. That doesn't that doesn't get me going. It's like, yeah, I mean, that was your that was your guy. Like, and and if you didn't know, which I think that's up for debate, then I don't know. I, I guess I guess it could be argued that like maybe you feel betrayed um, or whatever. But I don't know. I, I I just he's still your still your friend. Like you shouldn't just you know dismiss him and and leave him on the side of the road or whatever. I thought it was weird that he hadn't talked to Evans, I guess. Like he got asked about that and he said he was on a flight and then he, they didn't, t- I, don't, I don't know. Like that, that was kind of yeah. odd. And then the, uh, the Holder thing was what really popped for me. Like I haven't felt not supported. It was like, that doesn't sound great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like would, wouldn't, wouldn't you think there would be like a, some sort of meeting between him and Mike Holder and, and Burns Hargis where it was like, Hey, either you're all in or you're out, you know, like, and, and he, then he said something like, well, I'm still here. And you're like, what? Like it, I, it was just like, a, it was a really like odd thing to, to say. Um, but who, who knows? I have no idea what I would say in that situation. Uh, I hope well, I did, I did. I thought it was weird. I thought it was weird that he hadn't heard from the NCAA or the FBI. Yeah. Yeah. No contact at all from them. There, there were, I mean, if you, if you watch that interview closely, there were a lot of small things in there that kind of like made you, made you, gave you pause, you know? And I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what he knows or doesn't know, but I mean, I hope for his sake, uh, that he didn't know anything, that he wasn't close to it, that he that he had nothing to do with it, because this is a crappy way to start your career. Otherwise, um, yeah. so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. It's not good for well, I think State basketball. No, it's horrible, and I, I do think it's interesting to note, or it's important to note that you know it's so it's so lazy for people to go. He's the head coach. How could he not have known? Well, he was an assistant. Um, he he, he does have plausible deniability in that, you know, he wasn't the head coach, you know, assistant coaches go off and do their own thing all the time. So he, he seems to me as if he has plausible deniability. Now, does it, will the FBI uncover something that remains to be seen? So it, as for now, it, it seems like he's in the clear and seems like he didn't know anything. At least that's, that's what he's saying. So, uh, but no, it's a horrible way to start your career. And, um, yeah, just, uh, it was just kind of a weird, just a weird day, and it's going to be a weird season, honestly, with with all this looming. I'm not sure if this NCAA thing is going to be cleared up, or FBI corruption case is going to be cleared up anytime soon. If they haven't even talked to Mike Boynton yet, you know? Yeah, I, I don't either. And so it's like, well, you're going to get to February, and then something comes out, and you have to fire. Like I, 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 I don't know. It, it just. Well, is... What about Jeffrey Carroll? Like Jeffrey Carroll's going to play games, and then. If he's implicated in this, then what? I mean, do you play you know, three? Think, do you forfeit games? Do you, uh, does the attorney just take that into account if he's suspended for a certain period of time and you lose some games? I don't know. It's there's a lot going be, into that. It'd be kind of piling on for the NCAA to make Oklahoma State forfeit games in the in the in the post Travis Ford era where they haven't won an, an NCAA tournament game. 
It'd be, <laughs> it'd be brutal. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know either. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what unfolds there. Basketball is right around the corner, though. I know you've got NBA coming up. College basketball is about to start. So we're about to be in the uh, in the heart of the college sports season. Uh, where are you going to be on Saturday? I will be in the Cotton Bowl for OU Texas. Mm. It's going to be a fist fight. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It stinks, the you know homecoming and the fact – you know, homecomings in Stillwater and the fact the games are at the exact same time, you know, it just, that stinks for me, but yeah, I'm looking forward to being at the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I sort of like, am curious about Texas too. I've watched them. I've actually watched them a lot. I'm with oven. I don't really believe in them, but I don't know. They've, they've done some, they've, they've won. They're two and O, you know, they're first place in the big 12. So I don't know. Do you believe in them at all? I like their defense. I do think it's the best in the league. That's a great starting point since everyone else's defense stinks. Uh, I guess TCU's defense is pretty good too. But um, but no, I, I like Ellinger or Ellinger, however you say it. He's way better than um, Bouchelle. And Ellinger reminds me a lot of like a J.W. Walsh type or Clint Shelf type in that he's not this you know specimen of a thrower. He's not this great pocket passer quarterback, but he just makes plays. He just moves his offense and is kind of a winner. So I, I think they got a much better chance to win some games with him at quarterback than Bouchelle. So I, I do think they're going to be a factor. And I do think they, OU's got their hands full uh, on Saturday, much more than I thought coming into last week. Yeah, totally. Gundy's, Gundy's talked about it. Parody in the Big 12. It's definitely there. Which means every Saturday is going to be exciting, um, which I don't know if that's good or bad for Oklahoma State fans, but uh, it, it'll it'll certainly be entertaining. So, Is Gundy uh, thank- already scared about going to Austin? <laughs> I don't know. Is he know. already terrified of that now, now that he sees I- Texas found a quarterback? Oh, uh, yeah, probably. I'll be in. Are you going to go to Austin? Do you know yet? I'm pretty sure I will, but I don't, I don't have that confirmed. Okay, I'll be there. But, but to so. my, you're going to be there? Yeah. I'm coming. That's where the that's where the podcast started. You texted me after the oh, uh, was the game that Gundy was running third down quarterback draws with or quarterback sweeps with Walsh and had given up. It was the Veer. He was, he was running the Veer with Walsh. It had <laughs> taken Rudolph out of the game and then the punter from Texas brought him back. So And Grogan uh, hit the game what, winner. Yeah, Grogan from Amendola range. Yeah. Um, one last thing before I go, Kyle, I don't know if you saw, I tweeted about this fourth down attempts by schools from 2010 to 2017. Yeah. OSU is seventh worst as far as going for it. They've only gone for it 98 times since 2010. Baylor's gone for it 237. (laughs) I mean, you, you say it all the time, Kyle, like the mullet, the persona does not match the coaching philosophy with Mike Gundy. No, not at all. And and he's always been – I mean, did you see the stat that Gavin Lang tweeted out about uh, Oklahoma State's run it 134 times and passed it 134 times so far? Yeah, I wanted to retweet it, but I just I, – I let it go. Uh, wait, that doesn't add up. Is that right? What? Hold on. I think that's right. Uh Oklahoma State offense through five, oh, 184. 184 rushing attempts, 184 passing attempts. That is, that's Mike Gundy's dream. 
right? Like he wants to, I mean, he, I guess he would rather it be like uh, 368 rushing attempts and zero passing attempts, but he loves the balance. He loves the conservative nature. He loves, he loves all of that. Um, and it's, I, I understand it on some level. I think if you're, I think it works. And we talked about this during Bedlam last year. It works better if you have way more talent. Like if you're Alabama, that's how you should play. You shouldn't take chances. You should play conservative and let your talent take over. Oklahoma State has a lot of times had more talent, but in big games against good teams, they don't. And they, they, they can't get out of that not taking chances thing. And I hope, I hope, that doesn't come back to bite them against um, a Texas or an OU or somebody like that later on in the year. Yeah, and we're going to see on Saturday against Baylor what they do in the red zone if they're stopped on third down. That's something to watch uh, against Baylor. And and I'm with you. I just you got Mason Rudolph. You got these receiving core. Like I understand balance. I understand you can't just throw it seventy times. But this team should be passing. 60 to 65 maybe even 70 percent of the time especially when you factor in the injuries on the offensive line not being able to get a push so i don't know it's uh i thought that was an interesting stat you just want your boy tyron to get some get some touches don't get me started hey i'm i'm with i hey look i'm i'm on board he needs touches and and uh i i don't know I don't understand why why tyron and jd jd king don't have more touches i, I think that that is I think to talk about something that could come back to bite you. I, I think that's it later on in the year. Like you, you need to keep guys fresh and James Washington's playing 80 plays at Texas tech, you know, like mix it up, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, easy for me. Oh, to I'm, say. I'm, I'm, not... I'm, pl- I'm playing Washington 80 plays. He's not taking a hit every play like justice Hill. Justice Hill needs to be rested more than James Washington. I, I wouldn't take Washington out of the game. Well, unless he says, he... unless he says, coach, I'm tired. Gundy said he played twenty more plays than he would than he wanted, so I don't know. Yeah, they they take him out too much as it is. I remember the uh, the home game against TCU. He was out of the game on a crucial third and fourth down yeah. down near the red zone. They took James Washington off the field. I don't care if he stands there with his hands on his hips or on his knees, doubled over. He has to be on the field because TCU has to account for him. That was a yeah. horrible decision. I'd play him ninety plays. He's a receiver, <laughs> not a running back. Yeah, he's running go routes the whole game. <laughs> yeah, he's in great shape. I'll get Track you out of here on this. Stanford, how, Texas. How much money would you pay for a weekly podcast between like the two, like me, like the way you and I do it? So twice a week with with two hosts, me and you. But instead, the two hosts are Les Miles and Mike Gundy. How much money a month would you pay for that? Twenty. <laughs> 30 so double netflix 50 <laughs> only if it was uncensored and like gundy and him could like cuss and stuff that'd be fantastic it would be so good so good i haven't got a chance to listen to that pod but i need to yeah it's it's pretty great just just gundy talking about them talking cracked me up on monday it was <laughs> it was hilarious Gundy's he Monday said, press conferences have become an event. They really he have. said he said that Les used to get on the phone when they would get inside the five yard line and take over the play calling. Did you see this? No, I need to said, listen to this podcast. He well, no, it was it was during the it was at the very end of the press conference. He said Les would would when when Gundy was the offensive coordinator, Les would hop on the phone when they got to the five yard line and say, "I got this. I'm good." <laughs> <laughs> 
where I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to take over. So I bet Gundy has done the same thing since he's been a head coach. You know, he has, I don't know when, Heck yeah. I don't know Heck if he yeah. still does it, but, uh, it definitely has happened and he learned it from the Mad Hatter himself. Do you think, how many times do you think Les called the, uh, Tatum Bell play where he faked to the fullback and then toss it the other way to Tatum Bell when he took uh. over? I love that play. We saw a variation of it on, on Monday Night Football. Did you see that play? They need to run that play. That was insane. I had to no. watch it like five times on a loop to figure out where the ball went. <laughs> like, wait, how, how did the quarterback run it in? Who, who got it first? Like, I had to like watch the clip on Twitter like five times in a row before I finally got it. They could have won J.W. Walsh to Heisman if they would have run that play <laughs> in, in uh, Stillwater. Yeah, I'll have Lunt uh, send that clip to to Yursic and they'll run it. Yeah, but just like he, he he had him start running the uh, what was the counter? Is that the way he had him running? <laughs> yeah, it was something. Uh, oh, that's great. C- counter tray. He had him running counter tray. Yep. So yeah. Uh, okay, Carson, appreciate it. Uh, thanks again to David Ubbin for coming on, and we will talk again on Thursday. Sounds good. I'm going to start grinding on my uniform prediction. I got, I got to be better. So I'm going, to, I'm going to start thinking about that now. Yeah. Get, get in the workshop. Work it right. out. Okay, dude. Yep. See ya.